Hello, and welcome to the Monocle Summer Series, Edition 3. It's not overcast, it's sunny, it's bright. Uh, I think we have a bit of smart discussion, hopefully ahead of us, uh, and, and many, many other things. Very happy to say that we're in a finely chilled studio as well, Studio One here at Midori House, London. And I'm with Robert Bound. Hi, Robert. Hi, Tyler. What's your audio wear? What's your summer audio wear? My, my summer audio wear? Yeah. I'm out of a... I'm out of a a, a sort of a, a sandal today, a fine, yeah. a fine German sandal. Okay, I'm sporting a nice Austrian, a nice Austrian slip-on. I've got an Austrian <laughs> slip-on. I've I'm, got, I'm, I know where they come from. I like that. And, yeah. It's an American short, and I'm, yeah. actually, it's yeah, it's an American top. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in a in a cotton linen. You're kind of in a lake moment. kind of vibe. Yeah, aren't you? You're more yeah. In lake I'm sort of, I am, I'm in a bit of a lake vibe. Okay, I've gone Hawaiian. My shorts are quite short. But we, this is the way to introduce Andrew. I was going to look how I, short Andrew's shorts. Are. Yeah, and Andrew's like shorty short shorts. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> short shorts. Short, 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 nice a, to meet you. And a very <laughs> and a very pink top. His top. So Andrew sort of somehow planned it because it sort of bounces up. It's, it's like the, the light is bouncing up off the white sheet of paper yes. uh, on the desk. Um, and then it's off the top. And it's sort of giving a lovely glow, isn't it? It's very nice. It's a yeah. good tan. It's a good post-holiday tan, shirt. It's a tan enhancer. Yeah, um, it is. It, was it in the tan enhancement department, Andrew? I, I've, I've been in the tan enhancement department for a, a lot Many of my years. life. Many years. <laughs> anyway, enough of me. I'm going to tell you who's here today. But I have one summer question. Suddenly shy. I have, just, I have one, one important sort of political summer question. Now, have you noticed? that, and Rob, I think you would get this, but well, I don't know, does Rob wear suntan lotion or does he just do olive oil, Andrew? I'm sure, he, I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he's, he's basted. Factor two, come on. No, but have you noticed that, that you go into grocery store, pharmacy, wherever you want to buy your sun product, everything is, everything is over fa- factor 50 now. Everything is over sort of 30, 40. But if you are a mature tanning person and you like the sunshine, don't you think it's 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 somehow a bit odd because it almost like it forces you to think, oh, I'm just going to time it, I'm going to do 15 minutes without something rather than putting something, you know, you put 50 on, you've flown all the way to wherever, to the Greek islands, you know, you don't want to come back hasty because, you know, some of those things is like, I mean, it's really like properly reflective. So I'm wondering, it's, it's a little bit like so many things that sort of get banned somehow yeah. that it encourages, you know, actually more awful behavior at the other end. Andrew, do you have a view on that? Well, I have noticed just the absolute. You can find a thirty in some countries, but yeah. then or thirty-five, and then it's and then it's really it jumps to fifty. Can you remember when? You know, when we were when I was young, you used to think, "Oh, it's factor three. That's that. Whoa, I'm not really going to really cover up that much. That's three times less sun I can get." You know, that's how I used to work it out in my head. But anyway, yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think that it's there's a kind of a there is a bit of a, a PC world, which you know maybe we should let people decide a little bit how much sun they get if they get a little bit older like us. I think I could probably t- take a good a good, a good flamethrower and still not change color. Uh, anyway, I am now going to tell you who our guests are today because they are going to be. Paddy Butler, the creative director of the bookshop Libreria, and the concierge and writer Adrian Moore. Paddy will be providing us with some poolside reads in just a jiffy. Um, but Tyler and Andrew, what on holiday do you like to read? What's uh, packed? Oh, What's packed goodness. next year? Factor zero, Tyler. Well, I mean, well I mean, one of the things that we've been talking to a lot of people um, about is, and it's a, it's in our, our quiz. It's a little quiz we do. We ask people about sort of you know backlit or, or do you read a book? And I've been storing up my so. So if I, if I go if I go down for a swim near the office in Zurich, I've probably got one or two copies of the New Yorker, and uh, so that's I'm, I'm going through my sort of my back issues of the New Yorker, taking me sort of back to sort of probably early May, and I think it's just it's just a, I mean not just because it's not that I'm walking that far, but um, it's it's something lovely about catching up on you and you realize just good journalism it is timeless it doesn't matter if you read something which was of the moment i love reading anthony lane you know and even if i haven't seen that film it's it's they're just always amazing reviews so so i'm 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 with the new yorker this summer 
and it also responds well to a bit of um, fresh or salt water on it. It kind of matures in the sun, doesn't it? The new absolutely. It's kind of a nice, you get a nice kind of crunchy wrapping paper vibe off it. Andrew. Uh, well, you gave me a good little rec- recommendation, which is I think you need a book that's not too long when you're on holiday in case you don't get to the end, get distracted. Because I do nod off a bit in the sun in the afternoon. And uh, <laughs> Ty- <laughs> and on holiday? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so Tyler recommended a book, which is not the most, is not the most sunny of reading, but it's, it's about... Uh, it's about Germany in the 1930s. It's about how industry responded to uh, the rise of Nazism in an oddly positive way. And it's also about the fall of Austria and the Anschluss. And it's called The Order of the Day by Eric Wiard. And it's amazing. It's a kind of a dramatization almost of it. It's, it's, it's fact, but it's, a, a, it's done as a yarn and amazing. And you can read it in a day. Yeah, I know. It's, nice. it's, 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 yeah, it's exquisitely written. So um, that's you've heard it here. I think we have, we've got many more uh, book recommendations uh, coming up, do we not, Rob? But um, I think we're you're, you're probably going to uh, do a little bit of a of a musical number. Uh, I think you're going to uh, introduce us uh, to to our next uh, music act. I sure am, Tyler. Um, playing for us on the show today is Arlo Parks. She's a young British singer who's released her debut EP this year. It's called Super Sad Generation. She'll be sticking around to play us a few tracks today, and I'll be chatting with her later. But first, here she is with Cola. It's better when your Coca-Cola eyes are out of my face Yeah, yeah, yeah I checked your phone and no surprises She's grinning from ear to ear in purple lace So take your orchids Take them elsewhere Elsewhere But now I don't really care Cause you're running round over there Yeah, you're running round over there And now I don't really care Cause you're running round over Jared Way eating grapes in the back of the party Throwing hands cause she drank your Bacardi I know it's kinda dumb But I miss the way you dressed all punk With the black and the studs and the ripped up gloves Bet she loved your tough guy from So take your orchids Take them elsewhere I love you to death, but now I don't really care. Cause you're running round over there. Yeah, you're running round over there. And now I don't really care. 
That was Arlo Parks playing Cola, and we'll, of course, have some more tunes from her later. But now we need to welcome our first guest today. It's Paddy Butler, creative director of the East London bookshop Libreria, who's here to give us some summer reading tips. Thank you. Hello, welcome. Thank you. I know that there's there's a stack of books here and mm. uh, lots of authors and summer reads to talk about, but I want to just talk a little bit about uh, just the business of retail first, mm. because that's what interests me most days. Mm-hmm, How's mm-hmm. it doing? Brilliant. Fantastic. And for those of our listeners all over the world who do not know, and of course, I think we were one of the first to certainly photograph it and, and, and cover mm. uh, your setup. Tell us a little bit about the business and where you sit within London's book retail landscape. Well, when we set up Liberia, which is oh, three years ago, we wanted to uh, bring something new to the, the book world. And curation was primary to that. So we've curated shelves differently. Uh, according to broad themes such as Utopia, Time and Space, Enchantment for the Disenchanted. So the idea is, is that you come into the shop, you get a little bit lost, but you gravitate towards something you recognise and hopefully because of our curation, beside that will be something completely different. Um, so like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and beside that will be Richard Rogers, say. Uh, and that would be in our Utopia section. And and, and that, that kind of fits I guess we're trying to break the mold a little bit, trying to do things a little bit differently, and and that's reflected in our cultural program as well. Anything that can be done in a regular bookshop, we would try and not do it. I mean, we do literary events, but we do DJ nights, we do um, all night readings from Ulysses and, and and other things like that. But also art installations as well. So in terms of Retail, I think it's a it's a more social thing. It's 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 like trying to get people back in love with coming out and talking to us about ideas and books and yeah, different events. You know, let's get to the list. If, if I don't yeah. know, we've got quite a list, but look at put you know, you are you are at a very nice airport. Maybe in your case, it's, mm-hmm. it's city airport, mm-hmm. and uh, but of course you you've already sort of filled your tote bag. Five things people are heading off, or mm-hmm. they've got time to get. Uh, to to maybe another bookshop because they they happen to be in Mykonos and are there good bookshops in Mykonos? Good English language bookshops? Uh, I don't think there's much in the way of a bookshop there. Okay, all right. There's a, there's a good there's a beautiful open there's a good air, newsstand though, isn't there? Good newsstand and there's a very nice open air cinema. Okay. Oh, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Let's start. Okay. Well, what? look, I it's been out for a little while but it's recently out in paperback and you, you, you're going to want paperbacks aren't you for the journey you don't want to be weighing big hardback tomes um, but The Mars Room Rachel Kushner absolutely electric one of the best books of the last 10 years novels of the last 10 years I, I kid you not it is that brilliant yeah 
Yeah, totally. And she's part of a new kind of generation of writers, which I term dark brilliance or a new punk aesthetic. Oh, are these sections in the bookshop? Are these new sections? No. You, you got no, your... no, 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 okay. no. Not new You've sections. You've got your engraver's no, name out. No, this is, this is a new generation of writers like uh, Samantha Schwablin. Oh, Tessa Mushveg. My Year of Rest and Relaxation is one of the best novels as well of the last five, six years, you know. It, it, incredible stuff. Uncompromising, but also darkly comic. And that's where the summer reading comes in. That's where you, you're going to want it down on the beach. Because the start of Kushner's The Mars Room is one of the funniest. Like, I mean, it's, it's laugh okay. out loud every minute. And I, like, Thomas Bernard Woodcutters is one of the funniest uh, novels that I've ever read. This completely outstrips it in terms of how, how funny it is. Now, it is dark funny. <laughs> this, okay? is a, like this. This, this is a, a warning. warning this is a warning. This is okay. a warning to listeners. It is dark funny. But, I mean, seriously, gravitational pull, her prose, I mean, it's it's like you're tidal locked. It's like you're a, you're, you're a small little moon and she is this big star and she's just pulling you her prose are just pulling you right in and you just glide across the page she is phenomenal so in a literary sense we're in a kind of benign rip curl here yeah okay yeah, we're, being, so. we're being dragged out but it's fine yeah yeah give Rob more than that I like that Rob <laughs> yeah that he doesn't good. like that does yeah, he? Yeah, Paddy's a tough crowd well, it's yeah, the yeah. Crowd. <laughs> I, I mean look I'm going for a massive object in the universe you know and I'm just saying you get a bit, okay. You're going for rip curl. Right. It's not good enough. Right. Come on. Okay. I mean, that's I'm working on it. By the time we get to the Okay. Give me give me two more books. Okay, well look, the next <laughs> one is kind of uh, while I was reading Kushner's book, um it reminded me of a book I read in my early 20s uh, and it is part of that proto-punk aesthetic. Last Exit to Brooklyn by Hubert Selby Jr. Absolutely stunning for its time. It's got this kind of argot Dialect. It's written in that that kind of localized pulsing dialect or argot, I think they would call it. But like it 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 it's it's insane. It's so good. The first story is kind of it, it follows these uh, transvestites who are going out on this benzedrine, which is an amphetamine, but benzedrine fueled night with these local hoodlums and. Talk about a mise en scène. It it it's kind of it kind of reminds me of uh, John Cassavetes' Shadows. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen his any of his films, Cassavetes. Uh, that you know that kind of documentary verite sort of feel vibe, really kind of energized, pulsing, but also in your face. We're in a kind of Lou Reed universe here as well, right? Okay. That's yeah, 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 that, yeah. That now he couldn't have made any of his records without without reading um, Last Exit to Brooklyn yeah, and that and right. that vernacular and the language. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's it's there. You're there. You're right in there. You know, you're experiencing that. And as a twenty year old growing up in Dublin, reading about this edgier stuff, it it explodes the mind a little bit. And, and do you still find yourself? So this is published nineteen sixty four, the first time. Uh, yes, and you, and and you do you still find yourself? Going back to books from that period, absolutely, it's a masterpiece. It it it, it is in in that um, it, it, it's Burroughs, you know, it's junky. It's 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 all of those kind of beat uh, writers who are really pushing the envelope in terms of like what what you can say and what you can write about, and uh, it, it exploding tradition, you know. And these new these new writers like Otessa Mashveg. And Rachel Kushner, they're doing exactly the same, but they're doing it on their own. It's it's all theirs. 
Paddy's taking his leather jacket to the beach. I was going to say, I, 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 I'm, I'm seeing a black T-shirt, dark glasses. I'm not sure if he's going to take his shoes not, off. Not, not, a hint, not, not a hint of a tan on his return. Where, where next? Okay, well, look, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll also recommend Kevin Barry, Nightboat to Tangier. Now, Kevin Barry uh, wrote an amazing book, Beetlebone, uh, a few years back. It won the Goldsmiths Prize. And also, if I can mention it, I interviewed him for the Liberia podcast. So that sh- should be coming up quite soon. You've got a podcast? We've got a podcast. <laughs> wow. I've also interviewed Otessa Mashveg on that as well. That's quite revealing. Dark. Brilliant. Dark, dark, brilliant. I want to play the dark, brilliant drinking game with you. Yeah. Every time. Very slaughtered. By the I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it, hot tip. Uh, Sam Lipset as well. Hark is another brilliant, like, comic brilliance. And I'll go on to my last one because it, it is, I want to give it a bit of time. Robert McFarlane, we all know him, brilliant writer on nature, the land, environment. He has written Underland over 10 years. So this is really his magnum opus. And, and boy, is it a magnum opus. It is gorgeous. It, the learning, the erudition. I mean, he goes from ancient Greece. He goes from the founding myths, Gil, Gilgamesh. He, he talks about, you know, Orpheus, all in relation to his explorations underground. And yeah, I I, I, just, I just cannot emphasize like if you want that meditative read down on the beach while, you know, getting to grips with, with, with what is climate change. You want an introduction, but you want the best in the business to, t- to articulate that or to describe how we are affected and, and how we where we're going with this. Well, then there's no there's no better guide than Robert McFarlane. And Robert McFarlane, he's got an easy, the kind of narrative, the, mm. the, the propulsion of his books is always because he's walking somewhere, he's going up a mountain or exactly. he's walking the old ways, he's doing these kind of things. What does he do here? Is he, is he going potholing? Well, it's quite dangerous. A lot of the stuff, like where, where he goes, like is deep underground explore, explorations into these like incredible, uh, what, what, what he terms, and I think that they generally call them starless, starless rivers. And these underground rivers uh, in Italy and Trieste or in Latin America, incredible. He's just describing. I don't take it from me. Go. You, you need to. You need to. Immer- like it's immersive. It's immersive reading. But he's like covering all the sciences: geology, uh, nuclear science. I mean, it is heartening and it is optimistic, but. He's putting it into context and he's putting it into geological context and he's putting it into geological time and he's putting it into uh, glacial time and how we how we understand this beautiful earth that we inhabit and how we read it, essentially. Patty, just before um, we, we go, we're, did you- you did hear we're going to play a little game right now, right? Oh, yeah. Why, why, Rob, why don't you start and I'll do number two and then... So do you know what just, this, yeah. yeah, set up the game, Rob. Go, so go this it. is a quiz, Paddy. There's no right answer. Okay. Well, there kind of is, right, morally. And it's basically about your beach habits, about your, about your holiday habits. Get out, get out of your leathers, is yeah. what we're saying. Oh, right, okay. Okay. okay, so this we're talking about beaches here. First question, it's quick fire. I don't really go to the beach, but anyway, I'll, so, I'll okay, do my Sand best. or stone? Yeah, sand yeah. or stone? Uh, sand or stone? Oh, sand. Okay. Tight, loose, or nothing at all? Uh, loose. Red, white, or rosé? Oh, red. Burgundy. <laughs> okay, France, uh, Spain, or Italy? For your France. Holidays. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wind or horsepower? Wind. Friends or five-star? Friends. 
And you kind of answered this one before. Are you all at sea or are you on terra firma? Terra firma. <laughs> sun up or sundowners? Sundowners. Eavesdrop or AirPods in? Eavesdrop. And finally, I think we know the answer to this. Books or backlit? Backlit, of course. Yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> and... I just saw the for sale sign go up outside the barrier, for God's sake. Um, Paddy Butler, thank you very much for joining us. Happy, um, happy summer. Yeah. Yeah, um, likewise, guys. Thanks for having me. And if any of our listeners want to play the uh, dark punk drinking game, yeah. Paddy can be re- reached at Libraria Bookshop. And, and, and they, can, they can listen to the Libraria podcast, because that's ah, very, very dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Particle Summer Series. We're in London uh, today. And it's music time here. Here is Arlo Parks back again with... Angel song. You'd better living in the afterburn of the sixty, getting high in the basement, pretty. Baby with a heart full of blood and caught new love You got the pawn shop blues in this bitter city Crying hard in the basement pretty Angel quiet down when your dad takes you out Do 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 the sadness ain't new Do 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 you wanna jump off the roof but I love you Do, do, do This sadness ain't you Do, do, do You wanna jump off through But I love you You're there thinking about a girl Who ain't thinking about you Sitting numb in the basement blue Baby, you're wishing you could die with the moon, but I would miss you. You're there picking out your floors from 3 a.m. till noon, like the bad kids at school used to do. Well, fuck them, cause you turned out so kind and so cute. Do, 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 this sadness ain't you. Do, 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 you wanna jump off the roof. But I love you Do, do, do This sadness ain't you Do, do, do You wanna jump off the roof Oh fuck, I love you You're my angel You're my angel Oh fuck, I love you You're my angel You're my angel Fuck, I love you
You're back with the Monocle Summer Series here on Monocle 24 with me, Tyler Brule, and my co-pilots, Andrew Tuck and Robert Bound. And really, uh, co-pilots... I mean, you you, you, you sound like about... very happy about that. Well, no, because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of thinking, actually, I'm always a little bit concerned uh, when you're in an aircraft these days, because, you know, they don't have navigators anymore. You don't really need a navigator. But oftentimes, you know, you see, you know, you're on a flight and you hear, you know, I'm your captain, you know, Paul Schneider, and um, I, I've got my first officer, uh, whatever, uh, Jimmy Moore, and uh, and then I and, and then I also, we have, you know, commander so-and-so. And I, you always know, because when there's three in the in an A A320 cockpit these days, it's often because one is a trainee. One is a learner. Well, yeah, one's yeah. learning. So, yeah. so w- did you see a big, was there a big red L on the side of your <laughs> side of the airplane? <laughs> <laughs> so who's learning today? Uh, I, I think I'm definitely going to be learning. No, really? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm quite happy to go and get the drinks trolley. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm fine with that too. Well, anyway, earlier in the series, uh, when we uh, flew over to Paris, uh, and while we were there with Rob and Andrew, uh, you guys, I had, I think I had to dash back to Zurich, uh, but you, you, had, you had the good fortune uh, to catch up with someone who's really sort of been a little bit of the, the, the family uh, for a while, Adrian Moore. Yeah, and Adrian's had a, a long career in the hospitality industry, and as well as being the concierge for the Mandarin Oriental, he wrote the book Inside Chef's Fridges Europe. That wasn't um, him. Oh, the, yeah, that, that, was, that wasn't him in the fridge, by the way. <laughs> Do you think it's going to be a series by any chance? I think he's. I think he's got yeah. another one planned. Yeah, it's, it's okay. quite, well, it's well named, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like calling your memoir also, Part One Europe. Yeah. Well, also he's got two options. He can go to another continent, or he can be inside Chef's. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Trousers? Yes. <laughs> Under their hat, Rob. We didn't. We wasted our opportunity with I Adrian. So. We should have asked him about this. Right. Are you going to do inside chef's trousers? Inside chef's clogs, I was thinking clearly. Okay. okay. Um, so Andrew and I, um, we spoke to Adrian about his career, finding the best restaurants in the city and convincing tourists that trusting his recommendations will get them into far better places than any old review site. Well, it's nice to be here, bright and fresh, Andrew, um, in Paris, um, with one of its greatest exponents, Adrian Moore. Welcome to the programme. Hello there. Yeah, lovely to have you. <laughs> it's strange. Again. It's lovely and strange to, yeah. to be sitting around a re- table in a radio studio with you. We're sort of at the height of the Paris summer right now. It's just, it's just reaching its peak. If I wanted to get a suntan, but also then kind of go back to work, where could I get an hour of sun? this afternoon in a kind of place maybe it's on the riverside maybe it's a park where would you um catch like an hour of hour of rays oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> well we're actually in the east of paris uh, so a uh, little recording studio and all the clothing factory we're in the clothing, yeah, yeah. clothing factory on springs right there. yeah and uh, we're actually not too far from the Canal saint martin which is a uh, one of my favorite places there's an old uh, napoleon third shipping canal just a few minutes walk down the road um, which up until I think the 70s or 80s was a, a turgid, horrible waterway where nobody wanted to live. And okay. now it's become a part of the bobo culture. It's all cool people and uh, little artisanal coffee shops and pubs and, and things like that. Talking about this neighborhood, we're, we're not that far from the, the Gare du Nord. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit. What we notice every time we come here is the pace of change that is in many cities. But certainly here in Paris, this is a neighborhood that you really feel in flux. You've been here many years. Just give us a few of the things that you see changing about Paris at the moment, how it's evolving, the neighborhoods that seem mm. to be on the rise and changing. I think it's kind of like a, like a lot of other cities. I think 
Paris has been uh, left a bit behind by maybe London or Melbourne or, or a few other more open cities because the French are very proud people, proud of their culture, and rightly so in, in many ways. But the neighborhood where we are now is sort of in the northeast of Paris, and it's sort of uh, one of those slowly gentrifying uh, neighborhoods. Um, the east, the 10th, 19th, the 18th, the 20th are all sort of up and coming. And um, over the last few years, Paris, for whatever reason, has become a bit more open to other cultures, I think. And now the restaurants where the French people want to go are perhaps run, it's perhaps a coffee shop run by a French gentleman who who uh, spent 10 years in Melbourne learning how to be a barista, like uh, Holy Belly just down the road, mm -hmm. which is one of the best breakfast places in, in Paris, extraordinary. And they're all French people, but they've opened to, to other vibes. Japanese, you know, a lot of uh, Japanese people came to, to, to Paris to stage in uh, great restaurants and then went off to, to open their own places as well. Um, so, I mean, it, a lot of things are changing. Every time I go down the street, I mean, I, I see another place that's, uh, that's opened, a new coffee shop or a, or a new clothing shop or a burger place or a taco joint, you know. So, so. is the nature of what is French food evolved do you think because you've, it's always been a city open to migrant cultures I, I guess many people coming from the former French colonies especially from Africa and from uh, from North Africa as well but when you now go out for dinner do you find these influences you say from places that there were there were fewer connections with like Japan changing the way that the food culture is developing here yeah for sure I think and I think it's I think probably Paris is probably latching onto a, a a, a culture that a global culture that uh, that's changing i think uh with internet and uh instagram uh tripadvisor etc etc people are much more aware of what's going on trends are happening faster there's more uh cross-pollination i think and uh, and, and i think the french are sort of uh, opening themselves up to this this sort of world culture uh. And you've mentioned some of the online elephants in the room there Adrian. you're a concierge <laughs> of one of the finest hotels in the city uh, what do those things, what does, what does something like TripAdvisor, how does that change what you do? Do people come to the concierge desk and already know what they want to do and they simply want you to ring it up for them because they're maybe not comfortable with speaking French on the telephone? Has that changed things a lot? Or do people, the people that stay at the hotel of the caliber of yours kind of want to, you know, be your buddy and, and, and allow you to take them by the hand and whisk them around Paris. I, I wish they would more. It could go both ways. Huh? I, uh, quite often I have uh, clients come in who are very interested in food culture. Often they're, you know, people who have means and they travel on the world to eat or and they always want to know what the the best part of that culinary culture or whatever in, in each city they visit is. And they're interested and these people are, I'd love to help out and I love to help them discover other places as well and then you get people who perhaps um, are tied to their mobile device or a certain branded website TripAdvisor whatever the Yelp, kind of people uh, that turn uh, up to the desk and you can uh, see the yeah, top of their head I've had guests I've had guests who have cross-referenced every restaurant they asked me for on TripAdvisor I mean uh, I'll be giving them a, a dose of you know I'm, I'm, I've been here for two decades now I'm a big foodie if people food enthusiast um, I, I love it and um, and I love to share my my passion with with other people and help them discover their great places you know that trite word you know FOMO the fear of missing out lots of people seem to want to be in the longest queue just to get into the place that everyone else has taken the picture of 
And I think that we're finding more and more that the the job of journalists, the job of all of us is to redirect people to other parts of cities. Otherwise, you, you just have this kind of herd mentality. And, and once you crack that, then you discover the city in a, in a, in a much more interesting way. Oh, for sure. I, I, mean, have, a, I have FOC, actually. <laughs> F-O-Q. Just, like, just to, for, to point out to our listeners. Fear, to, of, uh, fear of queuing. Fear of queuing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very impatient. I, I will never queue. <laughs> I will never queue. Perhaps me and Rob can play the good hotel guest. I'm going to come up to your, to your front desk. Ding on, on the bell. Uh, I need some help uh, this afternoon. I want to go out for a great lunch in the city. Uh, maybe some a bit of fresh air. What, what would be uh, your recommendation, Mr. Moore? There's, um, for example, uh, a new place uh, which is called Créature, which is um, um, a four-month pop-up on the roof of the Galerie Lafayette department store. Uh, run by the MoMA group who have a lot of uh, sort of trendy restaurants in Paris and they've just hooked up with uh, this young, uh, sexy, internet-friendly uh, chef named Julien Sebag and they've got a completely vegetable-based menu. DJ, great cocktails and a view of the uh, Opera Garnier and the uh, the Montmartre. So on the uh, on the top of the uh, biggest department store in Paris and it's it's really the hottest place in Paris at the moment. Yeah, Very, very cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then after that, what about, we're going to start off the night. I want to go for a drink. I know this area vaguely. Where do I where do I go and have my first cocktail? Assuming we're going to have at least one. Yeah. <laughs> well, just down the road here, uh, there's a place called Le Syndicat, I mean, which is quite interesting because uh, you probably wouldn't know it's a cocktail bar from the outside because it's a uh, it's been tagged by uh, by spray paint and uh, full of theatre ad- ads uh, stuck to the wall. And, uh, and you've got this door, and you go inside, and you've got this cool little bar, four seats on the right hand side, a little boudoir uh, backspace. And they do some just in case I need to lie down. <laughs> Phew, yeah. you know everything about me. It's getting spooky. After a few cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to know how how you keep those relationships going because you obviously you're sending some well healed customers to these restaurants and these bars and these places, but how do you keep on that radar? Do you have to do you have personal relationships with lots of these people? The secret phone number. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, how, how, I know you're not, and neither would anyone want you to give all your secrets away, but I wonder how this, um, how this world works. I mean, there, there's, there's also, I think, a difference between uh, being a good concierge and being a great concierge. Yeah. And um, I think every, every concierge working in a high-level place in Paris has to have some sort of passion, or else they wouldn't be able to deal with the stress and the, and the long hours and the, and the difficult situations. So they've, They've really got to be on top, but there there are some people who go a bit further. I mean, I'm passionate about restaurants. I'm an obsessive, so I mean, I've I've I know lots of people on restaurants or chefs or drinking buddies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think what's important is probably when when you see the the guest is to develop a relationship with him and find out what's good for him. So they may come up with a list of uh, you know these ten restaurants you want to go to, and it's not even not near what they want to do. I mean, it's it got nothing to do with their, their, their own personality. So it, it's important to match. I mean, uh, often uh, I'm uh, some restaurants that are super difficult to get into. I'll be in contact with them all day long. And um, if they have a cancellation or something, uh, they'll let me know. So it could be a uh, different. It's about sp- keeping always in constant. Always in constant you're contact. You're always yeah. visible. You're always invisible, constant yeah. contact, being open to people, friends of friends. I mean, it's, it's kind of a perfect storm of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, contacts going out connections interest being open to, to everything you know it's a that's difficult to explain it's a busy old world <laughs> well that was adrian moore and he was speaking to us in paris tyler 
you've known this concierge for some time, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, but I don't stay at his hotel anymore. I know. I that's, know. that's fine. I know. Anyway. Uh, do, do you like a good concierge? I do. I, and I, I think when a concierge is is on their game, uh, yeah, they're they're really indispensable because I think they're, they're able to you know, not just sort of, you know, clatter away on a, on a keyboard. Uh, they, you know, they, they sort of know the time of day, the mood you're in. And and they're able to sort of read you know body language, and I can actually think of a very good, and I can't think of the name of the restaurant, but if we stay in Paris, someone just gave me a really good Vietnamese the other day, but it was it was just it was not grotty, it was just it was just right for the it was just like right for that moment. And Holly, I believe you were with us. I'm looking at at our producer for the day um, as well. It was just kind of exactly what we wanted at that time of the evening, and and just a nice crowd of people. Do you like a concierge, Andrew? I do, and I thought it was great in the interview as Adrian says. It's it's strange these days when. People arrive at a hotel and they've seen something on Instagram or on a website and they, they, they just show him a picture and say, can we go here? And they fail to know that actually he has this skill set that will take you to far more interesting places where you're not going to queue the whole night to get in and you'll be joyous when you get back to the hotel. So trusting the concierge, the good concierge, is obviously a skill as well. And we all know that the concierge's real skill is the way to find these places is to first get inside the chef's trousers. <laughs> so they remember you and then you can ring them up maybe just on the WhatsApp. Exactly. Yeah, and, okay. you've, got, and you've, you've got it. You didn't like that? <laughs> I do. I do. Okay, fine. Well, we have to get on with that. Anyway, we're almost at the end of the programme, gentlemen. Uh, but before we go, it's time for one more song. Um, we're going to cross over. Uh, to, Rob, can you exit the room um, as fast as you can? Because, oh, I know, because uh, you're going to um, chat uh, and set up with uh, our people over in studio too. And uh, I've come over to our performance space, and here I am with Arlo Parks. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Doing a session for us. I normally ask people how their summer's going and all the rest of it. Mm. I know yours is going well. It's very (laughs) exciting. You've been excited necessarily about all the things that are that are going on. We talked um, in the control room about mm-hmm. some of your summer, about Glastonbury, playing Glastonbury and all the rest of it. Mm. When you said it was your first festival, tell us about that because I didn't quite, yeah, I didn't quite, I didn't quite twig how first festival it was for you. <laughs> it's, it was literally the first festival that I'd ever been to just like as a spectator, as a performer. So I was kind of thrown in at the deep end and then we did like, three shows and a TV thing so it was all like very intense but amazing amazing yeah it's pretty good stuff it was hot it was kind of part of the mm. now fabled long hot summer mm. of 2019 mm-hmm. here in the UK it was a dusty old Glastonbury how mm. do you negotiate it I mean most people kind of have a bit it's a rite of passage as a mm. punter to go mm. when you're a performer and you want to see people how do you balance that out I mean, to be honest, mostly it was kind of rushing from backstage to backstage, but you do have little like pockets of time where you can like run and grab maybe like 20 minutes of someone's set. But yeah, it was mainly just like being backstage and wishing I was watching Home and Parlour, you know? Who <laughs> <laughs> were pretty good. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the record. It's such a beautiful thing. It's been mm. doing the rounds here at Monocle 24 and upstairs at the magazine as well. Um, it's got such a wonderful quality to it and the, the, the sort of intimacy of your vocals and all the rest of it. Oh, thank you. Normally I can imagine where records are made and dreamt up somehow, mm. but I can't with yours. It's such an unusual thing. It sounds so summery in so many ways. Maybe it's just your rendition of it today. But where did you where did you put these tracks together um well so two of the tracks i put together literally just in like my 
my friend Luca's like living room so we we're just sitting on the floor and just like recorded it there one of the tracks I made like a few years ago when I was 16 just in my bedroom and then the last one was in a more kind of studio-ish vibe so it kind of yeah it's just lots of different places but how does that work do you kind of riff off your surroundings I mean those tracks the the, the lyrics the lyrical content is very personal it seems mm. sounds like it must be mm. what's coming through the walls of that sitting room at your friend's house what are your influences I wonder oh right um honestly like a bunch of stuff uh a lot of like funk so like Sly and the Family Stone Parliament Funkadelic also some like singer-songwriter stuff so like Nick Drake Elliot Smith um it's all in there. I can hear all of that in there somehow. Uh, and then, little, yeah. yeah, it's just honestly like a massive, a massive range. I've been into like seventies rock recently because I read the Patti Smith book and then I got obsessed. Yeah. And um, yeah, just a lot of different things. And you, you've obviously got a lot of notes. You've got a lot of songs. It seems written down in mm-hmm. note form. You've got, you've got a very valuable notebook. I'm sure, <laughs> hold it close to yourself at all times. What about the written word stuff that doesn't come with music? I know, I know, I've read. I've read that you talked about Murakami before mm. in interviews and stuff like that. Mm. What are you reading at the moment? What's been on your sort of, um, if you've had any time at all this summer to read, what's what's been on your bedside table? So I just finished uh, Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. And now I'm actually reading this like introduction to um, existentialism. So a lot of like Sartre and like, like, like a lot of philosophy because my brother's really into it and he lent me this book and now I'm in this like I'm so confused and lost but I love it where are you in it let's where, where's the bookmark I'm like three quarters of the way through actually I kind of like burnt through it on a flight and okay. uh, yeah I I came off the flight feeling very existential yeah. so where so 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 so, so these uh, so the rest of the of the record I mm. presume which which you're recording mm. will this will this will feature some of the angst and existentialism of the great French perhaps. thinkers. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> he, says, he says, scratching his head about where this could possibly lead to. Um, tell us about the rest of your summer then, um, Arlo. Are you're you're festivaling, you're doing what? Yeah, so I'm playing some festivals in Europe, France, in Poland, and then I'm going on tour with Jordan Rakai in, the, in autumn. Arlo Parks. <laughs> I could listen to you talking all day as well. Two beautiful uh, voices for the price of one. Thank (laughs) you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Robert Bound. That was quite nice, wasn't it, Andrew? Joyous, fun, a drinks trolley. Some laughs, yeah. some good books. What I know, I know. And he's, I don't, I'm not sure if Rob's going to be able to get the drinks trolley back through the door. Anyway, he's he's got <laughs> a, you know all of this health and safety and soundproof studios. But anyway, that brings us uh, to the end of this edition of the summer series. This episode, as ever, has been produced by Holly Fisher. Join us again next time when we'll be getting lots of other tips, travel, food, more music, and otherwise. But for me, Tyler Brule, and also for my colleagues Andrew Tuck and Robert Bound, goodbye. This is Super Sad Generation. When did we get so skinny? Start doing ketamine on weekends Getting wasted at the station And trying to keep our friends from death We're trying to keep our friends from death And 
If I get to LA And oh, oh, oh We're a super sad generation Killing time and losing our paychecks And oh, oh, oh We're a super sad generation Killing time and losing our paychecks Bugging out, it's not hard to see. Drop three tabs quick in the back of the Prius. Rainbow crop top, Billy Jean. Might kill myself if you don't pick me. Prom queens brushing blood out their teeth, it's clean. Don't call me grieving for what we used to be. We're 17, just let it be. Drink some coffee, pretend it's the 60s. Yesterday. I heard you say Everything will sort itself if I get to LA And oh, oh, oh We're a super sad generation Killing time and losing our paychecks And oh, oh, oh We're a super sad generation Killing time and losing our paychecks And oh, 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 oh We're a super sad generation Killing time and losing our paychecks And oh, 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 oh We're a super sad generation Killing time and losing our paychecks